everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across ASEAN. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Luis Buenaventura, Philippines Country Manager for Yield Guild Games, or YGG, which is a play-to-earn gaming guild, giving metaverse players opportunities to earn in blockchain-based currency. Luis has also been a pioneer of Web3 in the Philippines. He has founded several businesses, including Cindio Media, Infinitely, Rebit.ph, and most recently, the Bluemex Cryptocurrency Exchange. Luis is also an NFT artist, founder of the CryptoPop Art Guild, which supports underprivileged Filipino artists, author of two books on cryptocurrencies, and has been a contributing writer to Rappler and Bits Online. Lastly, I've been following Luis's weekly newsletter, Crypto Today, for quite a few months now, and can say that I have personally learned so much from his thoughtful analysis and takes. I'm sure you will too. YGG is a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO, that helps scholars access play to earn games like Axie Infinity. YGG was founded in 2020. They raised $12.5 million in a token sale in July of 2021, and raised another $4.6 million from Andreessen Horowitz in August of 2021. You can learn more about them by visiting yieldguild.io. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as a a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Luis, welcome to the green room. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much. That was a very lengthy introduction. I feel embarrassed about half of those brand names that you just read out. No, it's amazing. I feel like most people we have on the show, it's just a couple of kind of big name brand names that they have on their CV when they start like big consulting or banking or big tech companies. But you know, when I look at your CV, it really feels like you've been entrepreneurial from day one. And that's how you can have so many really cool things on your CV. So I think I think it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, and so actually I want to dig into that a little bit. So I think your background is in design and engineering. Can you tell tell me a little bit how that led you to start your first business? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I actually went to art school. So my education was like, I was meant to be like some kind of commercial graphic designer or something like that. That's what I was being kind of trained for. And kind of funnily enough, I finished undergraduate studies right around the time that the internet was becoming really big in the Philippines. So it was kind of like early 2000s. And I found that I wanted to, you know, kind of learn how to get onto this whole web thing, learned how to kind of write, you know, very simple kind of websites, you know, stuff like that. 
it turned into a bit of a career. And you couple that with the fact that if you're training initially to be an artist, you generally have issues with authority and you don't like having to answer to bosses and things like that. So that's kind of how I ended up on the entrepreneurship path with a little bit of web know-how, a little bit of web design, web programming, all of that stuff. You combine that, you've got the beginnings of at least a a modest freelance career. I kind of dovetailed that into kind of like a small web design firm, which eventually turned into like a whole bunch of different little fintech startups. So I kind of went from the whole software engineering house thing where we specialized in things like Ruby on Rails, all the way through to like an e-commerce startup, and then eventually into cryptocurrencies. So my knowledge about things like payment systems, finance, the banking industry, it's all from the perspective of someone who's had to struggle against it, not someone who kind of was born from within it. I don't know these things by training. I know these things because I was one of those people who were disenfranchised by the fact that these things didn't work all that well. One of the reasons why my e-commerce startup in kind of the early 2010s failed so hard was because there was not really all that much credit card penetration in the Philippines, and there still isn't. So online payments, just by their nature, became pretty hard. It was not until much later that things like mobile money became a really big thing here in the Philippines. It, was, it took a, a global epidemic to trigger that sea change. But back then, it was credit cards or nothing. That was basically your only option. So when I first discovered Bitcoin, this was like early 2014, I was looking at it mostly because it seemed like an online payment system, which is kind of what, how a lot of early Bitcoiners looked at it. They were looking at it either as, oh, this is a way to you know, make payments online that is uncensorable. You don't need to ask for permission. As long as you both know what Bitcoin is, then any buyer can, can send money to any seller, right? So that was kind of one of the original ideas for Bitcoin. And, you know, I mean, granted, that was not exactly what happened. I mean, a lot of people tried. Big companies like BitPay still exist. But back in 2014, you had that first generation of Bitcoin startups who were all trying to be BitPay for their particular country. And I dare say that not a lot of them survived, mostly because Bitcoin is a payment mechanism Still, it is, uh, it's still not that great, to be honest. It's still, it's still quite hard to use it for that particular purpose. But yeah, um, one of the other brand names that you mentioned there, uh, Rebit, that's actually a play on the word remit or, you know, kind of when you transfer money to someone. And because we were using Bitcoin underneath, right? So we were using Bitcoin as a way to transparently send value from one jurisdiction to another where both the sender and the receiver still see their local currencies, but it's Bitcoin in the middle, kind of as an invisible bridge. So that became a popular concept for money transfer for at least the next couple of years. And we tried so many different ways to do that. There are entire cryptocurrencies now that devoted their entire mission to this. Uh, both XRP and Stellar, to a certain extent, are still remittance-oriented kind of blockchains. So yeah, so, you know, kind of we were one of the first waves of businesses that tried to do that. And, you know, it, it worked here and there. Like it, there are moments definitely when it was successful and other moments when it just didn't scale. So yeah, all of my opinions of cryptocurrencies and blockchains and I was like, it's colored by the fact that, you know, kind of I've been in this industry for about eight years now. And I've tried a variety of their most popular business models from kind of the, you know, payment systems to the remittance platforms to the exchange platforms 
to now where we are, which is kind of this play to earn thing, the NFTs thing. Like, uh, yeah, so I've seen the whole gamut of possibilities when it comes to cryptocurrencies. So it makes my perspective on this jaded slash unique, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the way I would describe it. Yeah, well, it you've been around in this space for a long time, which is which is great. I think so many people are kind of hopping on the bandwagon very recently, you know, just trying to understand what's going on, kind of myself included. It's like so many different concepts to wrap your head around. But I think particularly the use case that you landed on for a rebit, uh, remittances via Bitcoin is a really interesting one, particularly for the Philippines, where the remittance market is huge. And I guess that led you to I guess what you've done most recently before YGG, which was founding Bloom Solutions or the BloomX crypto exchange. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure. Yeah. So after we figured out that it was actually quite hard to turn a profit from a crypto remittance platform, and there's this joke in the remittance industry where it's basically a race to the bottom, right? Because all of you, your value to the consumer is if you eliminate all of the costs, which kind of makes it hard to run a business. Which is why you kind of see these uh, remittance companies where they try to grab market share by doing 0% transaction fees and stuff like that. And that's only sustainable up to the extent of your marketing budget, right? So there are limitations to strategies like that. And unfortunately, crypto, crypto remittance startups were no different. They had to kind of play games like that. And again, a very difficult business to kind of really make a mark, unfortunately. Uh, what we ended up kind of focusing on more recently with BloomX was the idea that we could just be a retail exchange. We were at an inflection point, we believed, for the Philippine crypto market, where Filipinos were finally starting to wake up to the idea that there is more to crypto than just kind of the top three to five cryptos that everyone knows. And kind of there was becoming... There was a lot more experimentation and speculation amongst like these low cap coins or these coins that were very specific in their use case. That became really, really apparent because of play to earn and games like Axie Infinity. But, you know, kind of when we first founded the Bloom X exchange, we were still kind of just thinking about it in terms of there's stuff in the top 100 that are kind of interesting and people want to be able to either, you know, buy and hold those things or speculate on them or invest in them or things like that. So kind of that was the original idea. And, you know, we got, we got quite a lot of interest out of it. There's not a lot of retail investment opportunities in the Philippines. The stock exchange is not particularly exciting. I mean, mutual funds and stuff like that are, you know, I mean, you don't even really need to explain why that's not a great place to put your money in. So what we what we discovered was there was kind of an entire middle class that was looking for kind of these low impact kind of investments in the couple thousand dollar range, right? You're not like, you're not betting your house on it. You are mostly just dipping your toe in. And if you had enough of that, then you had a real market. So that was kind of the concept that Bluemax was kind of trading within. And very interestingly, we kind of, pivoted into more and more of the play to earn stuff when we realized how big this game called Axie Infinity was becoming in the Philippines, where, you know, suddenly you had these kids who were from low income households who would never have touched cryptocurrency. Suddenly they know how to use this stuff. And it's because it it was genuinely one of the first um, crypto ideas that actually put money into the pockets of people in an active way. Not in a passive way where, you know, you buy Bitcoin and you hold it for four years. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was kind of unique. In fact, I could say very seriously that I waited eight years for something like this to happen. (laughs) 
because for once in my life, I, you know, I actually found a crypto model that was actually friendly to the base of the pyramid. And that became kind of like this, when I realized that it was A, not a scam, and B, it was actually putting money into the hands of these people. And then also C, a third realization was very important. There are a lot of them that really had no idea how crypto worked and they were getting hacked and scammed and all of that stuff. When I realized those three things, it became kind of almost an obligation for me to just dedicate my career to this. And and that's kind of how I ended up working with YGG. Uh, YGG is a a Filipino-led play-to-earn company. I'll I'll talk more about the business model later, but they were founded by a couple of friends of mine. Gabby and Beryl. And I've known, I've known Gabby for a good 15 years or so. So in my mind, it was, it made a lot of sense that we'd eventually start working together. And he positioned me in such a way that I could kind of leverage all of my knowledge in the crypto space because I'd spent the last eight years kind of building stuff uh, for the Filipino market. So for me to kind of take the position of country manager for YGG for the Philippines just kind of made a lot of sense because the players are are there, they are earning money, they're earning crypto, they need guidance. We know all the ins and outs of kind of making these types of businesses work in this country. Yeah, it just it just it just made sense, right? It kind of all seemed to fall into place very, very emphatically. And that's that's how I ended up here. Uh, I've been in YGG for just six months, actually, but it feels like a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in web three time, it's it feels like you've probably been there for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. And so, you know, coincidentally, and I want to talk about YGG more in a few minutes, but coincidentally this morning, I don't know if you had anything to do with this, but this morning I got off the wait list for Bluemex. I just got an email. I don't know if you had anything to do with that. If you, if you worked your magic, uh, Louise, but I appreciate it. I will never um, say. I will never say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Nonetheless. One thing I do want to ask you about before we dig into Axie Infinity and YGG and, and all that is your writing career. I think, I don't know, maybe it was five, seven years ago where your writing career sound seems like it really kicked off from popularizing the term remittance, you know, play on remittance and contributing to famous or perhaps infamous media outlets like Rappler. I want to know why you decided to start writing. I think yeah. it's it's fascinating that you've you've been writing about all of these concepts and also working with them at the same time. Yeah. 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 So, okay. The first thing I should probably explain is that to me, Everything is basically communication. Art is a form of communication. It's just that the language is lines and shapes and colors and stuff like that. Public speaking is, of course, communication. Programming is also a form of communication. You're communicating processes, right? And and then writing is just another. So kind of, I I think that if I were to describe like what I, what I am kind of just distill it all down. It, like, I'm just, I'm just a communicator. I just have a whole bunch of different mediums that I can kind of leverage depending on what I want to say. And the writing thing to me was um, a way for me to kind of investigate these interesting little trends and things that no one else was kind of looking into. And possibly it was because maybe they didn't have the technical background to look into it, or maybe they just didn't have the time to do it. But I felt like maybe I could throw some, some of my, free time into going down this rabbit hole and kind of clarifying some of it in a way that people would be able to understand more easily. And I did that for, you know, kind of, yeah. So for Rappler, for sure, I did that for about a year or so, but then I also started contributing to things like Coindesk and Quartz and all of these other places because uh, they needed Philippine perspective also occasionally. And I think it's going to happen even more now because there's quite a lot of this whole web three metaverse stuff 
that is kind of happening here in the Philippines first, which is an interesting phenomenon. I've never actually seen this happen ever. Typically, the Philippines leads the world in terms of like number of typhoons that hit it. Uh, it oh, doesn't. No. It doesn't typically lead the world in terms of metaverse adoption, NFT ownership. It's not the Philippines. It never has been, but for some reason, it is. And that is a strikingly different kind of opportunity for entrepreneurs like myself and um, Gabby, you know, who founded YGG. Because again, we've been in this country doing business in this country for well over a decade. And I think that kind of we have, this is kind of our moment to do something big and ambitious and, and audacious. And that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're in YGG. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and I love that everything is communication. And, and as I said, I think I've been a follower of crypto today for quite a, a while now. And, you know, I think the first episode I read was entitled, Is Axie Infinity a Ponzi Scheme? <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing to pull me down the rabbit hole. So I think we need to turn our attention now to the metaverse and talk a little bit about what you do at YGG. Maybe just to set the context for listeners who may not yet be down the rabbit hole, can you quickly share how Axie Infinity and Play to Earn games work? And is it indeed a Ponzi scheme? Okay, cool. I will try my best. So Axie Infinity is possibly the most well-known of the Play to Earn games. There's many, many of them out there. All of them are trying to become the next big, big sensation. But Axie Infinity is by and large the most important one. They are basically a dueling game where you have a bunch of these cute little blob characters that look a little bit like Pokemon, so humans train them and, and then they battle them online. And if you win, if you are the winning player, you make a small amount of cryptocurrency. And that was kind of it. That was the whole concept, right? And But what is interesting about any thing that allows you to earn something, if the cryptocurrency itself does well then it is possible that the size of your rewards have an outsized impact on your real world income. And that's kind of what we started to see back when SLP is the name of the token reward. Back when it, it was- stands for- uh, Well, okay. So it stands for, uh, did you really just want me to say that? It stands for a smooth yeah, love potion, right? Yeah. So it's this ridiculous thing, right? Because it's a game. It's meant to be a game and it sounds ridiculous, but that is what people are earning from playing this game. And- yeah, so back when it was worth under one cent US, it really wasn't much to write home about. But as it got bigger, it became kind of uh, substantial. Now, the amount of money that kids were earning from playing this game was starting to rival the minimum wage in the Philippines. And this was happening in early 2021, and it kind of peaked right around the middle of 2021. At that point, SLP had got had become so popular and so overbought is the word for it, that it was actually starting to hit 30 cents US. It has not returned to that price since. It has, has come down substantially from that point. But let me just say that around June or July of 2021, you would have these kids who were earning more from playing Axie Infinity than both of their parents combined. And it was kind of, well, that's insane on the face of it because... In order to earn that much from playing Axie Infinity, you're typically only glued to the screen about three hours a day. You're not even spending your entire, it's not even a part-time job. That's like, you yeah. can squeeze that in before you go to bed after dinner, which is kind of like what a lot of people were doing. So it created this weird moment in time where everyone wanted to get into Axie Infinity. And of course, if people want to get into something, then it does increase the cost 
of onboarding. In this case, the three blobs that you play with, the actual Axie characters, those are not free. The game does not give you these things. You have to buy them because they're NFTs. So they are NFTs that are bred. So like because they're actual creatures, they are actually bred. They're not like just generated by the game. They're bred by other Axie parents. And there are there are Axie players who are full-time breeders. They're professional breeders of these little blobs. Now, because the game was starting to become so popular, those little blobs started to go up in value. And originally you could play the game for like $10, something like that. That's all you needed. Now you, you know, I kind of at its peak, you were paying $1,500, something like that. And then currently it's, it's, it's way less than that. It's like more a couple hundred bucks is the most that you would probably have to spend on or right now. But what's interesting is that most of the players who want to get into this stuff, most of the players who would be earning, call it minimum wage from playing Axie Infinity, they can't afford a couple hundred dollars. Like, where's that money going to come from? I mean, on average... At least with YGG, anyway, the, our, our players are coming from households that are making less than $400 a month. The entire household. And the Philippine government definition of a household is five people. So we're talking right at the edge of the global definition of poverty. So yeah, if you're making less than 400 bucks a month, you cannot afford a $200 digital NFT purchase, right? It's just impossible. So how do you get into the game then in order to, to earn from it? Um, yeah. That is where... Louise, can I can I pause you one sec before we get into YGG, since I think that's what you're going to talk about next. I want to just note a couple of really interesting points about Axie Infinity and the game construct that maybe some of our Western listeners may not be as familiar with. Axie Infinity is play to earn, but that does not mean it's free to play. There are many Western games that are free to play. You can get a character and start playing for free, but then you can sort of increase your odds of winning with pay to own or pay to win. Um, there are many different kinds. Pay, pay to win, win pay to win. And I think, you know, maybe we can spend more time talking about that later, but this is pretty different from like a lot of Western concepts of video games. I think another thing that you said that was also really interesting is that the actual characters that you play with, the little blobs are NFTs. You So there's sort of two kinds of tokens, right? You've got NFTs, non-fungible tokens that are the assets in the game that people can own. And they're owned by players that are part of a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO structure. So that is, is very unique. And then players are earning in SLP, Smooth Love Potion, which is not an NFT. It's a fungible token that can actually be exchanged for other, other cryptocurrencies or even fiat currency that can be off-ramped out of the metaverse into the real world to pay for food, shelter, whatever. And as you said, that it sounds like that those earnings could be higher than that $400 per household a month for most Philippine households. I think that concept is just like so new and mind blowing. I just wanted to make sure we spent a couple of extra seconds on it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the difference between like uh, free to play slash pay to win versus kind of this new concept where just play to earn, right? Fundamentally, the biggest difference about this whole thing and the reason why play to earn works, quote unquote, and I'm just because it's an audio podcast, I have to actually say that I'm, I've got air quotes on right now. We don't know if it will work forever, right? We are what this is, is a grand economic experiment to try to see if we can turn the whole free to play model on its head, just turn it completely upside down, where all of the game assets are owned by the players themselves. 
And the biggest chunk of the revenue that is generated by the game, about 96% of the game revenue is actually disbursed to the players. So that the company, the game company is actually making, I guess, proportionately quite little compared to what you would need in order to sustain, let's say, Electronic Arts or Blizzard North or any of these kind of established uh, traditional game companies. So the, the model is kind of literally upside down. And it's such a novel way of looking at it that I think the most fair way to assess if this thing will work or not is to keep mentioning that it is a grand economic experiment in the same way that Bitcoin itself continues to be a grand economic experiment. We are not sure if this is going to be the form that you know the future of money is going to take. We are not sure if this is the form that future of work is going to take. But it's certainly interesting to watch it. And as far as we can tell now, we've got about two and a half million daily active users for Axie Infinity, uh, 1.5 million of which are residing in the Philippines. So we constitute like the single largest chunk of the play to earn space. And because of that, the Philippines leads the world in terms of NFT ownership, because there's literally at least one and a half million Filipinos that own NFTs as a result of, of Axie Infinity on its own. And I grant that there's all, all sorts of other NFTs out there, but kind of just that one statistic alone is already enough to tell you that we're leading the world. So that's kind of a weird thing for me to be able to say. But yeah, so that's kind of the difference with the whole pay-to-earn kind of model, right? It really upends these concepts that a more traditional Web2 version of, of the game industry would kind of fixate on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Luis. Thank you for digressing with me for a little bit. Let's get back to what I think you were going to say was about YGG and how it fits into this universe. Right. So, okay. So let's go back to the part where, you know, kind of most of the people who would be interested in earning from a game like this are probably coming from households that are not earning all that much so that they don't have any disposable income to make that initial investment. So what happened was companies like YGG started to come up where instead of selling the the axes and we can just kind of in your mind if you're having a hard time visualizing them just imagine that they're whole they're three digital pets because that's basically what they are so instead of selling the digital pets to the players it's we lend it to them and we lend it to them for free what we do instead of kind of charging them for it is that we take 10% of what they earn so if they earn $200 a month from it, for example, $20 of that goes to YGG. And we use smart contracts to make the disbursement and, and revenue share completely transparent and completely secure. So it happens automatically twice a month that they just get their money, we get our cut. The assets themselves are 100% secure. They can't run off with it. We can't, we can't easily cancel their contracts. We're, we're, all, we're all good like from a security standpoint. And that allows us to scale to kind of a, a pretty sizable number of active, we call them scholars, although, you know, that's not really an academic scholarship, but we do refer to our players as scholars because we're kind of, yeah, we're, it's like a grant, right? We're lending them these resources. So we're at uh, 16,000 scholars right now, and we grow at a, at a fairly decent clip, maybe about 1,000 to 1,500 uh, scholars a week currently. And for as long as we can continue to breed more axes, then we can continue to give more axes as teams, these kind of digital pets, to a, a very, very long queue of Filipinos who are waiting to get their turn. 
Got it. Got it. So it's not, I mean, you said it, that it's effectively a loan to scholars. How, how do you pick your players? I mean, can I show up to YGG and say, I want to be a scholar? Does that work? And what happens, is there a way for players to sort of graduate out from the, from that rev share model and actually fund their playing on their own? Or are they paying this revenue sharing model in perpetuity? So, okay, it'll, it'll probably surprise you to, to know that there's less than, there's only about 30 people in YGG and that's globally. Wow. Um, and then the, the Philippines team is eight people. We don't actually have the big kind of management structure that you would expect from kind of a company that has technically 16,000 employees. What we do have is we have these kind of autonomous sub guilds that are run by managers who are not our employees. So we've got these, there's a lot of interesting things that we're kind of using to kind of self-organize. The way that we're trying to think about it right now is regionally. So the Philippines, if people probably aren't familiar with this, so we're, we're an archipelago. It's about 7,000 islands, about 2,000 of which have actual people in them. And um, there's about eight distinct uh, languages that are spoken across those. Uh, I mean, there's, there's way more than that, but eight, eight is kind of the major ones, such that if I traveled, if I took a plane 45 minutes south and I land there and I try to speak to them in the version of Filipino that I know, I would not be able to understand a word of it. So the archipelago itself is actually quite, I guess you could say decentralized, more like fragmented actually in that sense. So what we do is we have these representatives across these various regions speaking these different languages and they act as our kind of leads in those regions. And that means that they can talk directly to the people that they want to bring on as scholars. And you were asking earlier, how do you even apply to be a scholar? Well, so first, firstly, you need to find out who the guy is in your particular region. And then you go through an application process. Now, each one of these regional heads will kind of have their own specific way that they will ask you whether or not you're going to be an optimal addition to the, to the guild. But generally speaking, we do look for people with a little bit of gaming background. And that's the kind of the most interesting thing about Axie Infinity. People tend to fixate on the fact that you can earn from it, and then they completely forget possibly the primary side of it, which is that it's a game of skill where players actually compete. So if you suck at it, you will probably not make that much money. And therefore, neither will YGG, because remember that we, we make a percentage of your earnings. So part of our screening process does usually entail asking whether or not the person has some kind of gaming background, or if not, do you have other qualifications that will kind of encourage us to think that you might be able to optimally use the assets that we are about to lend you. And that's kind of a, that's also another work in progress because uh, YGG itself has only been a, around for a little over a year. So we're continually refining our process for both getting more players, but then also getting more regional heads because we've not covered the entire country yet. We're actually only in uh, a handful of those regions. So the idea that we could can try to like have presence in all of them, have equal representation across the entire country, and then also be able to fairly screen and then onboard players from all of those regions. This is like a major goal for us. And we're still trying to figure out how to do that properly without growing the team to like hundreds of people in the kind of the core team. We don't need that. Like I uh, would rather keep it as light as possible. So that's kind of the way that the, the structure currently works. Got it. And that's interesting because right now it sounds like it's kind of geographically 
disperse. I mean, it may not necessarily be part of the YGD organization. There could be other people that are managing specific regions, but you could also think about people sponsoring particular subgroups. So like there could be a guild for women or there could be a guild for, I could create a guild for my grab drivers, uh, you know? And so that's, that's also really interesting. So it doesn't, the, the YGG model sounds like it was created by YGG, but doesn't necessarily have to be executed by YGG. And so then I guess my other question was, you know, what happens, you know, over time, do players graduate from YGG after they've paid off their 10% of their earnings for a certain amount of time? How does that work? So the players are, well, it's really up to them, right? I mean, they can continue to play for as long as they want. And generally speaking, uh, we have yet to really test this theory because we've not really gone for longer than a year. I think our longest scholar has only been with us for about a year. But yeah, I think I would say that kind of long-term, our goal is for these kids to graduate with enough funds that they can either kind of pick the profession that they want to go and uh, the real world profession that they want to pursue, or they have enough money to actually start their own, maybe their own guild, their own sub guild with their own scholars. Right. And you can do that with enough uh, personal capital and kind of the, the amount of capital that you would need kind of varies from month to month, but you know, with enough capital, you could start your own mini guild. And then when you become big enough, maybe you could integrate that guild into YGG. So yeah, of course, totally, totally. Got it. So that's kind of another avenue for financial inclusion, right? We talked about the play to earn model, but this is even a way to empower people to earn even more money using the YGG structure. That's really cool. Maybe before we continue, I wanted to also ask you, you've talked a lot about who the scholars are a little bit. It sounds like a lot of them are quite young. Maybe this is their first interaction, you know, earning money even. So can you tell us a little bit more about the demographics, age, gender, what kind of jobs have they had previously, if any at all? Like, what do they look like? And obviously you have a Philippines perspective, but anything you can share about other markets would be really useful too. Sure. Yeah. So um, our median age within YGG ranks, at least, is 22. And if you are 22 in 2022, it means that you probably did not get to finish school because school probably was out for kind of the last couple of years. It also probably means that this is your first interaction with money in the sense that this is probably your first income that resembles a regular paycheck. It also probably means that you don't know the first thing about things like paying taxes. You probably don't have banking. Your idea of banking is probably mobile banking, mobile money, sorry, mobile wallets and things like that, but not like a straight up bank. And you probably have no idea how things like loans work or any of those things. You most certainly do not know how crypto works. So there's like a really big kind of financial literacy gap that we are having to address as we onboard these players, because for the very first time ever in their lives, they'll actually have a little bit of money that they can contribute to the household expenses, for example. And, you know, very gratifyingly, when we did our very first big community-wide survey, about 45% of the respondents said that, you know, the thing that they spent the most amount of their Axie earnings on were household bills. So that may feel good because, you know, at least, okay, so they're not spending on, on weird stuff, right? They're at least like contributing to the household. They're being responsible about it. But, you know, kind of distressingly, hardly anyone said savings. <laughs> so that was like, maybe, okay, so we've got some work to, you know, we've got some work to be done, I, I would say. So kind of a big part of the Philippine team's kind of thrust for 2022 is education, right? Financial education. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of sticking your money in a bank, 
I mean, obviously I work in crypto, so, you know, I'm diametrically opposed to the banking structure, but I want to, so I want to be able to teach people what the alternatives look like and how to get into it safely without chasing a hundred X gains and kind of don't be one of the DGENs, right? Like just, you know, treat your money with respect, put it into some place that is relatively safe, but also, you know, but be aware of kind of what your options are. And I feel like crypto has, has at least matured to the point where there's enough options out there for different levels of risk tolerance. And with our kids, that risk tolerance is probably quite low, right? So you probably want to put it in the safest vault that you can possibly find. But that's still probably at least 20 times better than putting it into a traditional bank account. So, so that's kind of, kind of where we're at there, right? So we're about 60% male, 40% female, very young, right? So early 20s. But kind of the, the bell curve is very, you know, kind of, you know, 20 to 25. And then kind of at the edges, you've got like, we've got some kind of retirement age players also. And we've got kids that we need to actually ask for parental consent from in order to to yeah. bring onto the guild. So yeah, we've got both. We've got both sides of it. But yeah, I would say that like the 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 top of the bell curve is definitely kind of in that early 20s kind of range. So very, very teachable. Everyone's got mobile phones. Actually, here's another interesting thing there. Uh, it's uh, 98% Android users. Only 1% have either a desktop or a laptop in their oh, wow. homes, in their homes, right? So it's, I, the question was not whether or not they they owned a personal laptop or, com- or a computer. It was like whether they had one in their entire house and only 1% of them said yes. So, wow. you know, very, very much an Android only kind of audience. Yeah, which again, all playing, yeah. Everyone's playing on their Android phones. Yep. Yep. Wow. So it tells you, it tells you also what kind of crypto security measures that they have access to. Because they're not going to be able to use things like, a, you know, kind of a hardware device like a Ledger Nano or a Trezor. I mean, they have nothing to plug. Where would they plug it into? So, I mean, you're kind of stuck there also. So anyway, yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of where, where we're at in terms of the demographics. It's, you know, the Philippines is still very much kind of a, a low income kind of country. But we're hoping that, you know, with the, with the opportunities that we're connecting our players to, hopefully, you know, kind of at least some of them that are kind of in that low income bracket, well, they'll earn enough to kind of bump them up one rung, maybe two, if we're really, really good at our jobs. But the idea is that you can probably get the most gains if you are willing to look into things like cryptocurrencies. It just doesn't seem like there's any traditional financial instruments that are going to have enough oomph to give you that boost. I mean, not to the extent that it will increase your household income by 50% per month. I mean, there's just not that many instruments out there that would be able to do that for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, you know, it's, it's an interesting point about, you know, where can people put their money safely within, within crypto? And so I, I kind of want to ask you about the risks of this, of this whole model, right? There was some recent news from Sky Sky Mavis, which is the developer of Axie Infinity, that they're actually going to change the way that SLP is awarded. So one, can you talk about those changes and how it impacts the YGG model? And then what does it mean for the players who are looking for, potentially looking for more financial stability, as you just said, how does that impact them? Okay. I need to give some context first. Prior to the announcement, there were two distinct ways the players could make money from playing Axie Infinity. The first is by winning duels against other players, where you are battling your digital pets against their digital pets. That's the, that's called uh, player versus player. 
there was another mode where you were kind of going on an adventure. So we'd actually play against monsters that were generated by the game itself. In other words, there's no human on the other end. We call that player versus environment. So those are the two distinct styles, PVP or PVE. What Sky Mavis was saying was that they are no longer going to put rewards when you win a PVE game or match. And the reason for that is because they wanted to reward genuine player skill against, uh, like competitively against other players and not reward players who were playing against the, the computer uh, over and over again every day. Now, this was controversial for many reasons. The first is that playing against the computer is actually super easy. And you can do it very mindlessly. And actually, one of the greatest economic issues with uh, Axie Infinity is the fact that people were starting to write bots or simple AI to play the game on their behalf and that, that have farms of computers. They're all just playing the game. Uh, so it's basically your AI playing against the game's computer brain, right? <laughs> Which is kind of bizarre. Uh, and, and But you were still generating real money, which is... I mean, on the face of it, you can understand how that would be problematic, right? Because you're not supposed to be able to just kind of generate money out of thin air unless you're the Federal Reserve. So the problem with that is that it was causing this imbalance within the game's economy where, whereby you had all of these bot farms that were generating tons and tons of SLP and flooding the economy with all of these rewards and causing the price to drop. And the stats on that are pretty interesting because... About It seems like the ratio was nearly a half and half, where half of all the rewards that are currently sloshing around in the economy are generated via the player versus environment uh, rewards. And then the other half is actually a little under half was coming from players playing against actual players. So, so yeah, so by eliminating that, they have kind of drastically reduced the amount of SLP that is flooding the economy. And ideally it will cause the price of SLP to come back up because there will be less of it. So it's just very simple supply versus demand. Now, there's not a game designer on earth who would argue that this was the correct choice. It is definitely the correct choice because every game designer said the same thing months ago when they were looking at the model of Axie Infinity. They were saying, there's no way you can be giving people real money for playing against the computer like that. And um, they managed to kind of delay the inevitable removal of these rewards. They delayed it and delayed it as long as they could. But yeah, but now they finally are. And what will result here is that, you know, kind of two things. One, the players that will stay, they will definitely get better because now you are playing for, you're playing against more, more competitive players and you're playing for real money. And that, that was always kind of the, the vision behind the game to, the, to begin with. The second thing that's going to happen is the players who were very, very casual the ones who possibly were just kind of like mindlessly clicking around and stuff, they're probably not going to make it. They're probably going to quit. So we're going to see a reduction in the daily active users. That's almost a certainty, but I got to imagine that Sky Mavis knows that. And the, the Sky Mavis guys have studied this at length because I mean, literally it's their game, right? So they know what's going to happen when they do stuff like this. And I think that we will probably see a little bit of community discontent as a result of this. And we're already seeing it right now. But that being said, you know, kind of long-term, this is the only way to do it, I think. And yeah, it, it sucks, but it was not as if 
they never announced that this was going to happen. There was always kind of the possibility that they were going to change the reward system. And they've been tweaking and tweaking over the last year or so. It's only been now that they finally dropped the hammer and this is where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it really seems like a corrective measure to make sure that you're ensuring quality of the players as well as sustainability of the business model. So, so it sounds like it's the right move. What does it mean for YGG? I, does it change your ability to onboard scholars or, or how that works or not really? Well, it, it underscores how important it is that we train our scholars better because you can't just rely on them clicking around mindlessly. You do have to, you know, so, so a lot of our efforts over the last month has been shoring up our mentoring resources, our training resources, kind of funding KOLs and content creators who want to talk about the game, teach people how to play the game well. That's kind of where we've been spending a lot of our time right now because it is totally possible for you to earn even more from the game now. You just have to be good at it. You actually have to be good at it now, which is kind of slightly different from 2021 when you could kind of coast along and still make something. It was never zero. And now it actually literally is zero if you suck at it. So, so you do have to actually spend some, your, your brain is actually going to have to be working now for better or for worse. Now, again, we are figuring out what the correct approach is, but, you know, kind of very, I guess, kind of superficially, it seems like if we spend more time on education and training and upscaling, then we'll be able to kind of reset our players that are probably going to struggle for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I think it's the point around the value of SLP is dropping and people, anyone who had SLP is probably unhappy right now. It also kind of goes back to your early point, earlier point around the need for safe cryptocurrency investments. And I don't know if that looks like local stable coins or off, you know, really like cheap off ramps in your mind, like what needs to happen to, I guess, prevent people from feeling the negative impacts of SLP price swings, as we just might have seen, as we just saw, you know, what, how do we ensure that the people in this ecosystem who may not be financially literate or be as financially sophisticated are able to react or manage their financial risk safely? Yeah. So I've got like literally a whole bunch of different recommendations here, but the simplest one for me is within the Axie ecosystem, you can exchange your SLP directly for stablecoin. It's USD based, it's USDC, that's, the, that's what the stablecoin is called. But you can do that direct using their built-in decentralized exchange. Now, where do you actually put it? Well, you've got options, but uh, my favorite place is I actually put it in a centralized crypto wallet like uh, BlockFi, because that's 9% per annum. Pretty good, right? I mean, I mean, it's not great if you compare it against like DeFi yield farming and stuff like that, but like against any other bank instrument, like 9% per annum, that is completely insured is pretty good. So, so yeah, so I always kind of recommend things like that. You just, that you, you leave it in there for a little bit and just forget about it, right? That's fine. Crypto.com has similar things, except they're more kind of short-term. They do like 90 days or whatever. Um, I like their, I like their kind of vault product also. Uh, so I've tried a whole bunch of them. I do tend to kind of point towards the more centralized stuff just because when it comes to the more decentralized stuff, the learning curve is a little bit higher. That's the first thing. And the second thing, when people start looking at the, the decentralized stuff, there is a tendency where they often get blinded by kind of these unnaturally high gains from kind of young products that have not been tested properly. And 
I feel like that's a recipe for disaster if you don't have time to do the homework. And like, you know, I'm, I'm a professional and I still fall for some of these things sometimes. Because again, when you don't have time to do the research, you tend to just blindly pick stuff. And I'll put like a thousand dollars here and think, oh, I'll just try it out. Right. And then kind of next, next month is like, oh my God, what just, why did I do that? That was a dumb thing to do. Right. So I do think that there are a couple of very easy choices to make and, you know, places like BlockFi and crypto.com are pretty easy. Like you don't have to think about that so much. Even Binance has these, these saving products called Binance Earn. That's fine too. I feel like those are much easier solutions than trying to kind of navigate the wild west of decentralized finance. I understand a lot of people are probably going to have some issues with me saying that, but like in terms of what is the safest and most likely to give you your money back, if there is a technical glitch, probably still going to be Binance or BlockFi. Right. So I guess that's kind of where I'm at there. I'm I'm super pragmatic about stuff like that because like I, the thing is like if I, I, you know, my dad gave me a couple thousand dollars uh, a couple months ago to, to invest in any crypto product of my choice. And, you know, like a genius, I put it into AXS staking pool, which is AXS is kind of the governance token of Axie Infinity. And I put it in there and it's been kind of slowly making money. It's like an 80% APR on that thing. So quite nice. The problem is the AXS itself lost about 60% of its US dollar equivalent value since my dad put it in. So I don't look that smart right now. That's the risk when you kind of go into these things a little loosey-goosey, right? And like, I, and, and when I give advice to people, I always think, is this the kind of advice I would give to my father? So that's kind of what I would, and that's kind of the way I, I frame it in my mind. And even then I apparently still make mistakes. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I think there is this element of being willing to just lose some money. If you're going to get involved in Web3, you have to almost be willing to say, I'm going to light this money on fire. If it makes money, great, but most likely it's going to be ash. So that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I think, Luis, we're just about out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I I feel like I could chat with you forever about (laughs) all all of these cool concepts. But I guess we've talked a lot about the past and where we are today. But I want to ask you about the future. Axie Infinity is obviously evolving. Uh, YGG is obviously evolving. I think crypto users, particularly in the Philippines, are evolving. The the regulators have to evolve to keep up with all of these changes and keep, hopefully, the population safe from a lot of macro instability, be it, you know, typhoons or (laughs) SLP losing value or whatever. Yeah. I guess, in your view, like, you know, what is the future for this ecosystem, um, for the metaverse? I know it's a big question, but I've heard the stat that the highest gross revenue media franchise of all time is Pokemon, which is funny because that's, you know, from our almost like pre-Web 2 time. But is Axie Infinity the new Pokemon? What is it going to look like in five years? Maybe not five years, maybe a year, two years. <laughs> um, and how are Axie players and scholars of YGG and even the Philippines macro environment going to be able to keep up? Yeah. Okay. So I guess there's a couple of layers to the question. Maybe I'll do the play to earn landscape first. It's impossible that Axie Infinity will be the only quote unquote game in town forever. It's That's impossible. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing like a bunch of other games kind of try to, you know, jockeying for second best. You know, granted, Axie Infinity has such a large head start. It's a two and a half million player head start, and that's quite large. But yeah, we're, we're starting to see more and more of these contenders that are 
correcting some of the early mistakes that Axie made and possibly will be able to eventually, you know, kind of be neck and neck. And I think that that's, that's inevitable, but that also means that the industry itself is growing, right? I don't think it's going to be cannibalistic. I think it's actually just going to keep growing the size of the pie, which is great for everyone. And I think that with YGG in particular, we're watching all of those games and trying to figure out which ones are going to be really strong. In fact, we're not just watching them. We're, we're usually an early stage investor in them. So we've, we've invested in 45 other play to earn games um, because we're trying to see which one the next one will be. And because we believe that that's, that's just an inevitable consequence of innovation, right? Like, like believing that Axie Infinity is going to be the only play to earn game ever is like saying Bitcoin is going to be the only cryptocurrency ever. And obviously that is not true. So yeah, so so that's the first thing, right? And we're going to see a whole bunch of different ones. We're going to see a proliferation of this guild concept because, you know, if you know anything about kind of the way that gamers tend to work, they tend to focus heavily on a single game. And when they want to branch out to another game, they tend to end up in kind of a different group or a different guild or a different tribe or something like that because, you know, kind of specialization matters, especially if the game itself is quite uh, complex. So uh, we'll see a lot of that. Uh, which is kind of why we believe that kind of the current structure of YGG, where it is very decentralized and we kind of leverage these sub guilds that are all kind of, none of them are codependent, but all of them are kind of, you know, complementary to each other. That's kind of the, the method that we're kind of following because we think that as the games communities themselves have shown us, this stuff just gets more and more fragmented over time. So yeah, so that's the that's the first thing. That's kind of the gaming layer. The regulatory, the government layer, we've already started seeing a couple of conversations from, you know, kind of the government agents here here in the Philippines, the government agencies here in the Philippines who have kind of talked about how any income be it real world or metaverse based uh is, you know, subject to tax. I'm not here to argue one way or the other, well, if that's correct. And beyond that, there is the question of whether or not Axie Infinity as a game needs to be licensed uh, locally. I mean, what is it? Is it, it? I mean, it's obviously a cryptocurrency, but they're not changing your money from crypto to fiat for you. That's happening elsewhere. So they don't fall under the kind of the only licensure here in the Philippines that is relevant to this would be the crypto exchange license. And obviously Axie Infinity is not an exchange. So what are they subject to? Are they a security? Does the SEC need to get involved? Should they answer to the Department of Trade? I don't know. All of those questions are kind of, well, still that. There's still questions. And I think that over time, part of our job as kind of the Philippine team of YGG is to kind of address these things as they come. I mean, we're easily the biggest guild of our kind, and we're already kind of positioning ourselves in front of these regulatory agencies so that when they are ready to actually have that, that open conversation, then we can at least explain the context of what's happening in a way that I believe is a little bit more mature than your average kind of, you know, whatever, DGEN, NFT art guild, whatever, right? It's like we're trying to be the adults in the room. And I think that, and hopefully that will pay dividends later on if we can lobby for more favorable or more innovation-friendly uh, policies around all of this stuff. Because like, honestly, the last thing we need right now is another license that we have to get. Because that was one of the reasons why, you know, crypto exchange businesses in this country were slow, so slow in growth. It was because the regulatory framework came about five years ago and everyone had to stop and kind of try to get it first before they could continue working. And it, it kind of created this, this 
I don't think it protected anyone, to be honest. And, you know, that's probably a controversial thing for me to say. A lot of the time, regulation is motivated by consumer protection. And in the case of the crypto stuff that they're doing, I'm not sure it actually is. It, I, I, don't, I have not seen any evidence that it actually has protected the consumers that it's trying to protect because there are still scammers out there. It seems like they have actually gotten more. They have not become fewer. So, you know, kind of having a license that you need to obtain has not stopped the scammers from just doing their thing, right? So <laughs> there, there's that. Um, and I feel slightly kind of hesitant to, to, to even consider the possibility of licenses around play to earn just because it's such a young space, right? We need to, we, we don't even know what it's going to be yet. I think we have just the barest notion of what this is going to be. And it would be a shame to kind of stifle it at such an early stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Louise, that was a big question. Thank you for the big answer. I think that's about all the time we have for today. This has been a really fascinating and fun conversation. So thank you for your, all of your insights. Thanks for being our guest. Um, and thank you to our audience as well. Thanks so much. That was fun. Yes, it was. Thanks, Louise. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would also really appreciate you leaving us five stars and a review. And if you know anyone who would be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.